Check. Here we are. Hi, guys. Um, my name is Ben. If we haven't met, hello. Uh, we're going to talk about the Bible this morning. Uh, so if you, um, if you have a Bible or have it digitally, uh, you might want to turn it on or open it to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. So we're in this um, sermon series, The Cloud of Witnesses. And we're looking through the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and all the uh, different people that the writer of Hebrews highlights for us as people who have had faith. And we get to learn a lot about what it means to have faith. And, and if you're a person of faith, does that mean you're a perfect person? And does that mean your life goes a certain direction? And, and what does it mean to have faith? And today, we're going to talk about a pretty iconic figure in the Old Testament, a guy named Moses. We heard of Moses before? And uh, when Simon assigned this one to me, uh, I, I was like, hey, Simon, this is awesome. Thank you for assigning me Moses. And do you, do you realize that his life story is told over the course of four books in the Old Testament? This is a sermon series. So I have a 28-point sermon this morning. No, I don't really... I don't really. Uh, but we are going to look at the story of Moses, and we're going to look at um, a particular lens that the writer of Hebrews gives us in Hebrews chapter 11 to look at this story. Before we begin reading, can I pray? Lord Jesus, it's good to be aware of your presence. Thank you that you're here with us. Holy Spirit, would you teach us this morning? Uh, even as I preach, would you teach? Jesus, we uh, confess that we do need you. We need you to open our eyes and our hearts to help us uh, receive your truth, to obey your truth, to set us free from things we don't even realize are holding us captive. We love you this morning, Jesus. We just turn all of our affection and attention to you. Illuminate your word to us. In your name, amen. So Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 24, says this about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So there's a picture of Moses um, living by faith. And what I was struck by as I read this is this is a picture of someone who's choosing to live different or to be different. Uh, I titled this message just for myself because sometimes I like titles. I titled it A Different Kind of Different. And then I thought, well, maybe it's actually a deeper kind of different. Because I, I loved the way it described all the choices that, that, 
uh, Moses was making and the, the identities that Moses was taking as acts of faith uh, and these, these sort of differences he was making in his understanding and his vision of the world and his, his life choices because of his faith. And, and I thought about what it means to be different and I'm, I'm aware that we, we live in a world and, and perhaps a city that is particularly excited about being different. It's really interesting. Uh, we, we live in a city, I've lived in Portland most of my life, and, and we live in a city that is both um, obsessed with and terrified of being different. Have you noticed this? There's this desire to be um, alternative in some way, to have a different point of view, to be kind of different than what we view as sort of the national or cultural norm. And yet we're terrified of being different from our neighbors at the same time. There's this desire to be different, this fear of being different. And what I've noticed as I started thinking about what does it mean to be different and what kind of difference do we celebrate and what kind of difference don't we celebrate, I was realizing that um, so, so often our pursuit of being different or being unique is really just a pursuit of belonging. So I, I want to belong. I want to be part of. I don't want to be the outsider. And so I'm going to try to find my way in through, through this, uh, into this culture, into this, in this way of being. Moses, I, I look at in his story and in the way it's presented in the book of Hebrews, I look at Moses' story and I think of him as someone who was um, courageous enough to not just appear different or to not just use difference as a way to belong, but someone who was courageous enough to actually be different from top to bottom, from inside to outside, completely through and through to be different than his surroundings. And I noticed several different ways that he was different. So, so we begin in verse 24. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So we remember the story from last week that Simon shared with us about Moses' parents um, putting him in this basket to save him from, from the infanticide that was happening. And, um, and this basket then floats down the Nile River with the baby in it. And this baby Moses is picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. Right? So he's raised as Pharaoh, uh, the child of Pharaoh's daughter in Pharaoh's household. And it says that when he was grown up as an act of faith, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose a different identity. So, so he began his journey of difference with a different identity. This is interesting because um, so often I, I, I've been taught and I've, I've sort of picked up to see the world um, as, far, as far as difference goes, uh, to, to split the world into categories based on different beliefs. So I, I've been sort of raised in a Christian culture that, that um, tends to use categories of Christian, non-Christian, or secular and sacred. But, but the category that, that, um, that Moses begins with actually doesn't have a lot to do with belief. It has to do with identity. He, he chooses not to be called the son of of Pharaoh's daughter. In fact, it says he refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refuses to be one of Pharaoh's household. He chooses a different identity. And, and I look at this and it's kind of like, what's the big deal? Why wouldn't he just like, you know, allow himself to be identified with his adoptive parent? And like, why is this such a big deal? And, and as we read the story and as we put the story in context, we see that um, to be aligned with Pharaoh is actually to be aligned with a really uh, toxic power structure. To be aligned with Pharaoh, to be part of, to, to be content to be one of Pharaoh's household is to be... Um, to be aligned with a source of power that's tyrannical, that's murderous, and that's actually very oppressive. So he chooses a radically different identity. 
And this is, this is kind of, um, I think, more, ex- more of an extreme choice than we might initially realize. It's very hard. It's very hard to go against the power structures that surround us, isn't it? Uh, we don't maybe tend to think so much about power in our world. We're like, we're, you know, power is for people who are politicians or people who, who you know, are multi-million dollar company CEOs or whatever. But, but we don't tend to think about power as something that we interact with on a daily basis. But what if I were to put it like this? Um, it is tempting... It is tempting to align ourselves with the sources of power around us. What if, what if I said it is tempting to align ourselves with what is fashionable around us, with what is the norm around us, with, with, with what everyone else is doing, thinking, and saying around us? See, I think for, for Moses, the power structure that, that he had to choose, whether he was in or out, the power structure was a tyrannical dictator, for us, I have a sense that, that the power structures that surround us might have more to do with social pressures, might have more to do with the way of the crowd. Listen to this interesting quote from Eugene Peterson. I love Eugene Peterson. He's so insightful, especially when he comments on culture. He says this, classically, there are three ways in which human beings try to find transcendence or religious experience apart from God, as revealed through the cross of Jesus. So there are three ways people try to find this religious experience other than looking at Jesus and the cross. One, through the ecstasy of alcohol and drugs. Two, through the ecstasy of recreational sex. And three, through the ecstasy of crowds. Church leaders frequently warn against the drugs and the sex, but at least in America, almost never against the crowds. Wow. He says that there are, there are these ways that we try to find meaning, purpose, identity, transcendence, and we, we kind of, we, we know what some of them are, and we're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to, but then we sometimes can miss that we all are swimming in a power structure. We all are swimming in a crowd mentality. And what Moses does is he looks at the dominant power structure around him, and he says, I choose not to be identified with that. I refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I refuse to be called just one of the masses, going along with where everyone else is going. He chooses a different identity. He's marked out and set apart. And it seems to me that as we begin following Jesus or as we turn to Jesus again and again each day, this is the first thing he does is he changes our identity. The first thing he does is not necessarily to refine our belief. The first thing he does is not necessarily to fix our behavior. The first thing he does is to call us a new name. You are not the child of the powers around you. You do not belong to the structures of authority that surround you day in and day out. You belong to someone else. He gives us a new identity, a new name, a new thing to be called. So Moses refuses to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chooses to be mistreated rather than to enjoy the pleasures, the fleeting pleasures of sin. So he chooses not only a different identity, but he begins to orient his life around different dreams, different visions of the good life. Different ideas and life plans, different dreams for his existence. 
See, I think we all have, not I think we all have, every person, every person has their own vision of what the good life is. And a lot of us, um, myself included, if I just go by my default, if I just kind of think, uh, just don't, don't even question my own thoughts, it, it, uh, my, my vision of the good life has a lot to do with security, with ease, with comfort, with career success, with certain things that I want to work out in my life a certain way. In short, oftentimes my vision of the good life looks a whole lot like the American dream. So Moses sees around him that available to him are what the writer of Hebrews calls the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's available to him. He can live a life of pleasure. He can live a life where, where sin creates fleeting pleasures and comforts around him. And instead, he chooses to be mistreated with the people of God rather than pursue happiness, pursue this sort of uh, dream of comfort and security. So he begins to orient his life around different, a different calling, a different dream, a different vision of the good life. And this is, I think, really important for me because it, it, it helps me think through just for a moment, kind of back up 20,000 foot view and see uh, the course of my days. On any given day, what am I pursuing? On any given day, what am I hoping for? On every, any, any given day, how, how do I define whether that day went well or went poorly? It all depends on what my dreams are, on what my idea of the good life is. So Moses makes a very radical choice to define himself in a different way and to begin to orient his life around different dreams, a different calling. And when I read this, I'm a little bit like, oh, man, does that, is that really what it takes? Like, do I really have to be different in that way? Do I really have to, like, re, does this mean I have to be mistreated? I have to suffer? Does this mean I really have to, like, go there? Does, does this mean I have to give up everything I want? And I think what we'll see is that, that God actually desires to bless his people, to, to uh, cause them to flourish, but that the way forward for us is not to grasp at the fleeting pleasures of sin. The way forward for the people of God is actually to relinquish that control, to relinquish those dreams, to say, God, you choose what is good and right for my life. God, I choose to abide by your definition of the good life. I want your dreams. In fact, God, I want my life to be what you dreamed of when you saw me in my mother's womb. I, 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 choose, to, I choose to seek your dreams for my life, Jesus, rather than my own. And what we'll see is that some pretty remarkable things happen. So he chooses, instead of the fleeting pleasures of sin, he chooses to be mistreated with the people of God. And then verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to his reward. He had a different values system. A different values system than the people around him. He began by defining himself radically as different from the structures of power that he was swimming in. 
And then he had a different dream for his life. He he chose to orient himself around God's dream for his life, to be mistreated rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And then he begins to evaluate his life by different values. Did you notice he said he considered the reproach of Christ or or being reproached with Christ, some, some translations would say. This is the idea that he's receiving reproach just as Christ does. With, uh, he considered it a greater treasure than the treasures of Egypt. He had greater value in being reproached with Christ than in gaining all the treasures of empire. What? Is he like, is he sadistic? Is he, is, is he like one of those crazy spiritual people that like thinks the more that they hurt, the more righteous they are? Like what, what's going on with Moses? But notice it says that he, he considered the reproach of Christ or re- being reproached with Christ greater value. For Moses, it was, his value system was sort of flipped on its head. And it became more important to be with God wherever God was than to gain all the wealth and treasures and pleasures of the good life of Egypt. It became more important to him. He had greater value. It was more of a success to him to be with God, with Christ, even if that meant he was suffering reproach with Christ than to gain all the treasures and pleasures of empire. In short, he had a different economy. He was living in a different economy. What's valuable? What's treasure? What's good? What makes you wealthy? This is, of course, reminding me of the the parable that Jesus tells when he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds treasure in a field, and in his joy, he sells all he has and goes and buys that field. Moses, by faith, seems to have found or seems to be finding a treasure that, has, that is of greater worth than everything else the world can offer him. Do you begin to see how by one step after another step after another step, Moses is becoming different at a deep gut soul level? He's becoming identified, a different identity. He's being defined radically differently than the power structures around him. He's he's choosing to orient his life around different dreams, different goals. He's evaluating success success and failure by different value systems. He's choosing to live into this new way, this different way. And, and we'll see that it actually uh, causes some, some crazy things to happen. So he considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. So by faith, Moses left Egypt. See, this, this is where... His life radically departs from the life of the people around him. This is where his actual life choices begin to take him on a different life path. Moses begins to live a different life. What life was he born for? Well, originally he was born for a life of a slave, right? Born to be one of the Hebrew slaves of Egypt, 
And then he was sort of saved from that, and he, he, the life that then he was sort of adopted into was the life of royalty. That was the life he was made for. So, so in that system of empire, in that system of power, he had two options. He could either be royalty or a slave. He could be the, the people uh, oppressed or he could be the oppressor. He could be on one or the other side of this culture war. Oh, I just used a triggering phrase a little bit, didn't I? He could be on one side or the other. He had two options that were radically opposed. And what did he choose to do? Leave Egypt. I'm not playing this game. I'm not picking a side. I'm not camping up with this side or that side. I'm not going with the life I was born into as a slave. I'm not going with the life I was adopted into as royalty. I am leaving the country. I choose not to play this game. And he leaves, not fearing the anger of the king. Okay, 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 okay. So he, he's radically defined himself differently, different identity. He's chosen to orient his life around different dreams, evaluate his life by different values. And what has, what ha, what has this journey produced in him so far? Fearlessness. Not fearing the anger of the king, he could leave. I don't have to be that. I don't have to be that. I don't have to play according to the structures and systems of this world. I am on a different way. It's called the way of Jesus. He, in fact, is the way, the truth, and the life. And that is the way I choose to walk. He, he has this uh, different life, and as we look at him living in this different trajectory, he seems radically free, doesn't he? I'm not afraid. I'm not, I don't need to please this person or that person. I don't need to be part of wherever everyone else is going. I don't need to align myself with this group or that group. I don't need to try and orient my life around this dream or this thing, for this version of success that was handed down to me. Or I don't need to do any of that. I am free to leave because I choose a different life, a different way, because I do not have to be afraid. This is where, um, this is where people who choose to follow Jesus into a very different identity and a different life, this is where they begin to look like weirdos. This is where Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that we are fools for the sake of Christ because we look crazy. We look insane. Uh, it, it's, like, it's, like, it's like it doesn't map. It doesn't, it doesn't track. It doesn't fit any categories. Like no, no one can quite figure out, do you, are you this or are you this? And I'm not really sure. Like, like I thought that you were going to be in this category, but maybe you're actually in this category. Because we don't fit into the categories that the world provides any longer because we have chosen to live according to the different identity given to us by God and to do so without fear. This is where Christians, people who follow Jesus, begin to look like crazy weirdos. Crazy weirdos. So I can think of a bunch of examples of this. For, for one, let me share one with you that's quite personal. Don't worry, not awkwardly personal. Um, so I'm, I'm 33 years old. I'm unmarried. Single. Never been married. Um, never been married. 
uh, and um, for a lot of folks that I know in the church and in the church uh, culture that I grew up in, um, it's very concerning and it's very important that Ben get married. Uh, for for a lot of for a lot of folks, um, in, and maybe even more folks in the very secular performance performing industry that I work in, um, it's very important for them that I um, have a partner, whatever that means. It's basically the same thing, different language, right? It's very important. And, and, and when I have conversations with people, sometimes inside the church, but especially with people in the world, about I'm actually I'm very content. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm any lonelier than any normal person is. Like, I, don't, I think I'm okay. I really think I'm okay. It's like you just see the wheels turn, and they're like, I don't, does not compute. You are speaking a different language. It's so odd. And yet Jesus, whom I've chosen to follow as my teacher for how to live life, has told me in the scriptures that, that singleness is a blessed way to live. I, I'm, I'm a weirdo, you guys. I'm just a weirdo. And when people inside the church say it's really important that you get married, I go, oh, it's okay. That's okay because that's, that's, a, that's a power structure or a system that we've picked up from the world around us. And we all kind of know at a gut level that actually like the way of Jesus might make us look different. We might be odd. We might be strange. Uh, this is a less personal example, but I know somebody who's a, a best-selling Christian writer and makes a lot of money off of his uh, books. And he um, he has chosen so so he he could be living in a really fancy house and 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 having all kinds of amazing cars or whatever else. He has chosen um, to have all of the royalties from his books be paid to his church, and then his church pays him a salary, and that salary is just below the poverty line. I'm sorry, what? This man is a success for the kingdom of God. And he has chosen to live in actual poverty and to give away the rest of his royalties. What a weirdo. What, what a crazy thing to do. And this is where the life of a Jesus follower, based on this different identity, evaluating our life through different values, orienting our lives around different dreams, we actually begin to make different life choices, and we become weirdos. And I have to kind of get comfortable with this. Because I have to be honest with you, there is an enormous temptation in my world, in this city, in my industry, in my friend groups, every single day to adopt the systems of the world. Every single day, there is a temptation, a real temptation in my heart. Now I'm really getting personal and confessing to you. A real temptation in my heart to conform, to just for once not be the weirdo. And yet Moses is unafraid. So he lives a different life based on this different identity, different values around different dreams. And then it says he did this, he endured this, seeing him who is invisible. I love this. He sees him who is invisible. Moses is able to see the reality behind what we normally call real life. Moses is able to see what most of us miss. In fact, he has a different vision. 
this different identity, these different values, these different dreams, this di- these different life choices have created in him a different vision, a different way of seeing the world. Most of what we call real life is the, the world available to our senses, right? And, and, and when we kind of get stuck in that way of thinking or that default mode of thinking, it, it, it really seems like everything in our life is up to us. And God is really nice on like the spiritual level. And he sort of like helps me out when I'm like sad or when I just, when I, when I just need to be heard or, or when I go to church on Sunday, he sort of lifts my spirits and God sort of brings me into community. And so I have really nice friends and that's awesome. But really like real life is about, you know, getting to work and about dropping the kids off. And it's, a, it's really about making sure that I have enough money in the bank account and, and eating this meal and like whatever, whatever else it might be, we tend to see only kind of what's on the surface. And we miss the invisible realities going on behind. Moses was able to see him who is invisible. Able to see the real spiritual realities going on behind the surface. I was reading this um, essay this week by uh, probably my favorite author ever in the history of forever. His name is G.K. Chesterton. Anyone know G.K. Chesterton? Love G.K. Chesterton. Um, He has this different way of seeing the world. He's just kind of like an oddball. It's very much like Moses, very winsome, very whimsical. And he, um, he's, it, it's a letter. This, this essay is actually a letter that he was writing to his fiancée in the year 1899. And, and his fiancée was complaining that you never tell me what goes on in your life. You just tell me about the, you know, the, the weather and the flowers you saw and the cool conversation that you had or that somebody said to you or whatever, right? You never tell me what you actually do day by day. So he goes, okay, great. I will tell you, but there's two ways I could tell you. The first is to tell you the events of my day. So he does. He just lists them out, like 11 bullet points. Here's exactly what happened. I got up. I did this. Da, 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 da. He said, the second way I could tell you is to tell you what is actually happening. And so then he begins to unpack it and describe and describe what it means to be asleep and then to wake up into this beautiful world full of wonders and full of wondrous people and to, to eat a meal and receive the goodness of God and to walk out the door and encounter souls who live in bodies and who we get to interact with. And there's this sacredness all around you and there's miracle everywhere. And then I'm, I'm doing my work and I get to work with my hands and with my mind and put my full self into this thing. And God blesses it and God uses it. And then he just goes on and on through his day in this big picture sort of behind the scenes vision of reality. And when I read this, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that's what's real. I, I think all this other stuff is real, but the, the most real thing is actually what God is doing behind the surface of what my senses can perceive. And I lose sight of this. I forget to see him who is invisible. I forget that there's more going on than meets the eye, that, that, it, that God is actually on the move, that God is working even when I'm not aware of it, that things are happening in spiritual reality in the life of every person I walk by on the street or interact with at work. I forget, I forget that God is real and the most real thing. And I just get stuck with what I can see and touch and feel and accomplish on my own. This is uh, the spiritual practice of faith. So uh, it's been really interesting to me as we've been talking about all these uh, people who had faith. Um, do you guys know that um, 
that faith in, in the history of the church is actually listed as like a virtue. It's considered a virtue. So what's a virtue? It's like a, it's like a good thing to be or to practice. So, so, so a virtue, right, would be something like love. Yes, we should all be loving. It's a good action. It's a good thing to do, right? So, so love. Um, uh, 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 generosity is a virtue, right? I'm going to do something. I'm going to give away my time or my, my money or whatever. It's, it's a good thing to do. And then in this list of all these different uh, virtues or practices or things that we ought to embody is, is, this, is this word faith, which seems a bit odd, right? Because, yeah, you can practice generosity, you can practice love, you can practice chastity, you can practice all these really important virtues, but can you practice faith? Isn't faith like something you either have or don't have? Isn't faith like either I believe that or I don't believe that? Like I either have faith in God or, or like, like I believe God or I don't believe in God? Isn't faith more about whatever doctrines I've uh, like assented to in my mind? Well, according to actually the, 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 the centuries of believers that have come before us, faith is actually something we practice. Faith is something that we work at day by day by day by day and embody day by day by day by day. Faith, I think we see from the, from the story of Moses here, that he was able to see him who is invisible by faith. Faith is actually the practice of seeing God in the course of our lives. Faith is the practice of seeing God in our lives, in our world, the lives of people around us. Faith is the practice of seeing God. So, so when I read the scriptures day by day, when I pray day by day, when I have conversations about Jesus with my friends day by day, I do these things so that I don't lose sight of the God who is at work in every moment of my day. Because if I don't practice faith, I will lose faith. And by that I mean I will begin to believe that real life is just what I can touch, taste, see, and control. And I will forget about the God who's actually moving, who's given me a different identity, oriented my life around different dreams, given me different values to evaluate my life. The God who has given me a different way to live. That's, that doesn't fit any of the categories of this world, and I can lose sight of it if I don't practice faith. So we, give, we get this picture of this man, Moses, who is intentionally different from top to bottom, from inside to outside. And then it says this, by faith he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is really interesting. Finally, at the end of this list, we get one of Moses' spiritual practices. Up to this point, we've just been talking about how Moses is radically redefining himself, his life, and the world. Radically being different in his understanding of himself, of his life, and his understanding of the world. And now we're talking about how he has different practices. And this is really interesting because for me, growing up, this is where I began, different practices. It's important, Ben, that as a Christian, you're different from the world. So it's really important that you don't do these things. And that's true, right? I don't make any judgment against that. Like, thank God for the Sunday school teachers who told me that. 
That's a beautiful thing. It's a true thing. And yet for Moses, we see his different practices coming out of a different person. He himself has become different. He, he himself has begun to see his life and the world differently. And so his practices become a natural, unforced outflow of the person he already is living the life he is living. He's not trying to put on practices to be different from the outside in. See, I think this is the difference. Man, how many times can I use that word? I think this is the difference between a sort of worldly alternativeness and a true difference that is born by the Spirit of God. The, the, the worldly alternativeness is about what can I put on that will make me appear different? What practices can I have? What ways can I dress? What ways can I talk? What hobbies can I have? What virtues can I signal to the world? What can I do out here so everyone sees that I'm different? Well, the inside remains untouched. For the follower of Jesus, it all begins with a new name. You are not called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You are not called according to the structures of this world. You have a new identity, and it makes you see your life and evaluate your life in a new way. It makes you begin to live your life in a way that doesn't fit the categories of this world. helps you see the God who's at work behind the ordinary things of life, and it, the natural outflow becomes these outward practices. So when we come to church, if we're trusting that Jesus has given us a new name and a new way to see life in the world, then coming to church becomes a natural outpouring of the difference he has already made. When we read our Bibles, what a strange thing to do. You mean you, you get up and read the same book every morning? Haven't you already read it? You're reading it again? What a strange thing. When we sit quietly in prayer, it looks like we're doing nothing. What an odd thing to do. There's a lot of news you could be reading on your phone. So strange. When we do these odd practices, they are born out of this new identity, this new way of being, this new way of seeing the world that has already grown within us. And when we do some of our rituals like baptism, that's a weird one. You take a bath in public? What are you talking about? Or communion. Like, it's not a real meal, you guys. It's not even a snack. Why do you want soggy bread? Why did you dip it in the juice? When we do these strange practices, they can seem odd. Unless we have already allowed God to make us different in identity, in the way we see our lives, in the way we see the world around us. And then they become a natural outflow of, of the newness of our lives. See, the other way to talk about difference and the way the Bible actually usually talks about it, you know what it is? Newness. New life. New life. Moses saw the dead end of all of his options in Egypt. He saw that being a Hebrew slave was a dead end. Being the son of Pharaoh's daughter, it was a dead end. And so God gave him a new life. When we talk about difference, all we mean is allowing God to make us new. Beginning with identity, 
moving on into how we see our lives, moving on into not only how we see our lives, but how we actually live our lives and see God at work around us, see the world around us, and finally giving birth to these new, radical, interesting, subversive practices like church going, like Bible reading, like prayer at 6 a.m., like communion. And that's the kind of newness, the kind of difference that gets born in the people of God. Can I invite the worship team to come back up here? So in a minute, we are going to um, take communion. And um, so, so what, like, what does this all matter? Who, who really cares, Ben? Like, sure, I get it. I'm with you. But, like, what, I'm going to leave church, and then, like, normal life is going to happen. And, like, what does it matter? And I, 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 think, um, I think that's a really important question. I think that's a really important question because if I am um, if I'm coming to the scriptures and, and finding radical truth but it doesn't actually like change anything about my life or the way I experience my life, then, um, then, then I've actually kind of missed the point. I've missed the point. So I think this is why all of this matters. I think this is why all of this matters. Um, you, like me, probably have seasons of your life where you do a lot of spiritual practices, try to be a good person, um, simply because, like, you know that's what you're supposed to do. And that's not bad. That's not wrong. I think God honors this. And, And you, like me, have this invitation offered to me, you, us, every moment. You have this invitation available every moment. And the invitation is this. Um, don't, don't stop your spiritual practices. Don't, don't like ignore church going and Bible reading and communion and all these things. Don't stop that. But w- w- would, would you allow God to actually radically redefine you on the inside? And would you, would you quiet your own dreams and ideas and values about your life and allow, and allow God to speak into those for a minute? Because he's actually now the one defining you. And, and, and would you, like, for, for a moment, would you, would you pause all of your own plans and would you say, God, where, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to leave Egypt? And, and knowing that this God has defined you as one radically loved by God, w- would you then begin to see him at work and open your eyes and ask for the eyes to see like God's at work around me and the lives of my friends and and I live in a world filled with God and filled with God's goodness. And as you begin to wake up to these things, is it possible that your spiritual life, spiritual life, spiritual practices um, could, could flow out of these things? And is it possible that instead of having a spiritual life, that if we allow God to radically redefine us, radically change the way we see our lives in the world, is it possible that instead of having a spiritual life, we could have a life filled with the Spirit of God? I think that's what Moses found by faith. By faith. He trusted God when he said, that's not your identity, this is. He had faith. He practiced faith. When God said, I want you to rethink your dreams for your life and how you evaluate success. He trusted God when God said, I have a new thing for you to do, leave Egypt. He practiced faith, seeing God at work around him.
And it gave him this life that was, instead of just a spiritual life, a life full of the Spirit of God. I think this is the invitation, any given moment. So, so we're going to take communion here in a second. And I would just encourage you, um, don't get up right away unless, like, you're just ready to go and you're like, I've got this, Ben. Let's do this. But don't get up right away. Take, take a moment. Take five seconds. Take 30 seconds. Take a million seconds. Take a minute. And I'll just allow God to radically redefine you for a minute. God, how do you see me? What do you say I am? Here's all the things, the labels and the ideas and the structures that I, I feel like are defining me. What, what do you say? How do you define me? And will you allow God to redefine you in this moment? And he might say something like, uh, oh, you're my beloved. He might say something like, no, you're strong. He might say something like, um, you are anointed for a purpose. Would you just allow God to define you for a moment? And out of the outflowing of that newness, that radically different identity from all the identities the world can give you, would you come to the tables and receive from him this new life? That's what we do at communion. We receive what Jesus called the new covenant, his broken body, his shed blood for the new covenant, the new way of being, the new life. And if you haven't trusted Jesus, Jesus in that way, or you're not really sure what you think about Jesus, um, it's totally cool to sit in your seat. That's totally fine. Um, but consider, even if you're not going to take communion, consider what it would mean to allow God to radically redefine you the way you see your life and the way you see the world. If you need gluten-free, it's on this side. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that um, whatever I say, your word speaks. Jesus, would you um, clarify everything I just said? Jesus, would you speak your true word to our hearts? Jesus, would you peel back the layers? Would you radically redefine us? Would you teach us to see our lives in a new way, to orient our lives around new dreams, to live our lives in new categories, to see you at work beyond the ordinary visible realities around us. And Jesus, would you cause all these things to birth in us not just a spiritual life, but a life in the spirit. We love you, Jesus. Do your work now by the power of your Holy Spirit. In your powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.